All right. Um, last Sunday morning, when, uh, when we, we went ahead and had services, uh, didn't know who might show up, didn't know who wouldn't, and knew that there were all kinds of warnings, and, uh, and depending on where you live, you might not even been able to get here because the roads weren't passable. But one of the things that I noticed is that there was one group of people in this church that represented themselves as extraordinarily faithful by their representation. You know who that was? The choir. They do more than sing, amen? They love the Lord and that gets them here. And, and, uh, and that's not a slight for anybody else. I just noticed it was incredible. It was interesting to see that, that we had pretty much the normal crowd in the choir, uh, even though a lot of other folks weren't able to make it here. And, and with good reason. But that says something, I think, about the choir. And so we have to appreciate them for their faithfulness. Amen? All righty. We, uh, we're working our way through a series of lessons. Uh, and, and the gist of all of this is that oftentimes what God requires of his people is different than what's acceptable in the world. Have you all noticed that? Um, it's, uh, and, and the counterculture is starting to get in increasingly loud. There's, there's, some, uh, there's some pretty serious contrast. Uh, the so-called women's march that they had in Washington, D.C. a couple weeks ago doesn't seem to represent the kind of women that I normally hang around with. Amen? Amen? They dress in strange clothes. <laughs> they had a bunch of obscene signs. And they were militant about their uh, advocacy of the right to kill a baby before it's born at any stage of the pregnancy. Uh, the idea that, that somebody would march for the right to be able to destroy a life uh, all the way up until, I mean, long after it's viable and would easily live outside the womb. The idea that people would, would get so angry uh, at the idea that people didn't want them to do that. Th that's interesting, isn't it? Um, and, uh, and more and more, we're living in a world that doesn't appreciate the kind of values, uh, the, the kind of ethics, uh, the kind of life that Christ calls his people to live. Uh, and so we, we're working our way through a series of lessons on that score, and, and uh, we've already gone through a, a several of them, and we're on uh, number five this evening. By way of review, I don't know why that slide does that in here, not back in my office. Um, so don't worry saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for the idolaters eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Now if we're people of the book and we believe the book then we believe that our God will supply all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. And we do our best to meet our responsibilities to work and, and to be responsible and all that other kind of stuff but after we've done all we can do then we just leave the rest to God, amen? Uh, and by the way, we don't spend as much time worrying about our future as they do because that's all in God's hands. Really, I have a Bible that says that all of the days appointed for me were written in his book before one of them came to be. Uh, and on that basis, I don't spend a whole lot of time getting extra checkups and, and, and uh, buying organic food and, and, and doing all of the things that some people try to do to stretch one more day out of their life. Now, don't be reckless and don't do things that destroy your health. But, uh, and, and the Bible says bodily exercise is somewhat profitable, but it's more important that we exercise ourselves to godliness. Amen? 
take care of this vessel so God can get the maximum utility out of you as long as you're here. Just don't get fanatic about it because that's not the most important thing. Our number one priority ought to be trying to figure out what it is that God wants us to do to honor him today and every other day that he gives us. Amen? If you're going to be under the influence of something, the Bible says be under the influence of the Spirit of God. I, uh, I just don't believe that God's people need to be intoxicated by any substance. Because under the influence, we'll do and say things that are reckless and likely to destroy a testimony and even a life before it's all over with. And people like to argue with me every now and then and tell me what the Bible does and doesn't say on those lines, and I think I can make a pretty strong case. But uh, I'll just tell you this, I have never seen any kind of problem so bad, you can't make it worse by pouring drugs or alcohol on it. We talked about beauty this morning and what God calls beauty, and there's a lot of people that think that what's most beautiful is showing off as much of yourself as you possibly can. That's not a godly value, amen? Uh, we're supposed to be modest people. That's not what we're supposed to lead with. And then we talked about purity last week, and there's a lot of people that have mixed motives for just about everything they do, and purity is, is more than sexual purity. It's intellectual purity. It's spiritual purity. It's, the, it's a purity of a life uh, that emphasizes personal holiness. It's all of those things, amen? And God calls us to a life of purity. And tonight we come to a different subject, humility. Now, we live in a world where People are, are, are kind of arrogant. People tend to brag, to draw attention to themselves, uh, to push themselves forward and, and, and to try to outrun other people. And I wonder where we got the idea that that was a Christian virtue. I'm reminded of a parable in Luke chapter 18, and I don't have it on slides. So I just want to go ahead and read it to you from the Word of God. Listen to this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple complex to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee took his stand and was praying like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy and unrighteous, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, turn your wrath from me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. God is talking about a couple of people who had come to the temple uh, ostensibly for the opportunity to worship him. And one of those guys was so impressed with himself. And as he, and, and the Bible says he prayed to himself, because he certainly wasn't having a conversation with God. As he prayed, or did what he wanted to call praying, he basically said, God, you are so lucky to have a servant like me. The church can depend on me to tithe. The church has given me an office, and I live like I'm supposed to live, and I'm not like those filthy, dirty, nasty people that do all kinds of things that you call wrong. Aren't I wonderful? 
And Jesus went, <laughs> And the other guy stood at the back of the room, wouldn't even look up, beat on his chest in an expression of oriental grief, and said, God, I just need your mercy, because I'm a filthy, rotten, undone sinner. And Jesus said, which one of those two do you really think that God listens to? And he pointed out, he said, it was the second guy. The, the Pharisee had pretty much counted him out and called him unworthy. Church people have had some history with doing exactly that, haven't we? We have looked at people who have gone down a rougher road than we've gone down or just hadn't got as far down the right road as we have. We, uh, we get some spiritual amnesia. We can't remember where it was that we were when God found us before he cleaned us up. And if you never got that nasty, if you never got that filthy, then praise God for not letting you be in an environment where all those kinds of things happen to you. Amen? You would like to believe that somehow or another you're better than somebody else because you didn't go down that road or you didn't have that particular problem. But I have a Bible that, that doesn't quantify sins or, or qualify sins or, or, or give them some kind of value as there's this really, really awful sin and then there's the not-so-bad sins. You can't find that anywhere in Scripture, amen? Sin is sin is sin. And the same God who has a problem with adultery doesn't like gossip any more than he likes that. Amen? People who are bitter, unforgiving, all that. The, the, the Bible really makes a point of saying that there's just something wrong with that. So let's get rid of our pride and humble ourselves for a few minutes this evening and think about what this means because being a worshiper of God and serving in his church is not about getting good enough to look down on somebody else. Amen. It's about getting healthy enough to be able to minister to somebody else that needs to get healthy too. Amen. Amen? So here's an example of humility in Philippians chapter 2. It says this, Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, let's set the stage so we get exactly what the Bible's talking about here. I have a Bible that says that Jesus Christ is part of the Trinitarian Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all co-equal members of the Trinitarian Godhead. Jesus was there when this world was created. The Bible says that apart from him, nothing that has been made was made. Amen? He was already God, and he did not have to do what he did on Calvary's cross to become God. 
to earn a promotion. Amen? But for the sake of us, not for himself, he stepped out of his very comfortable eternity, off of the throne, became one of us, and let men be disrespectful to him, eventually spit on him, beat him, and nail him to a cross and kill him. Because that's the price that had to be paid to make our forgiveness a possibility. While he is hanging on the cross, there are people below him that are hurling insults at him. Some of them are mocking him. If you're really the Son of God, why don't you just come on down from there? I'm so glad he didn't respond to that. Amen? Amen? They, uh, they gambled for his garments. And on either side of them, there were two guys that were being nailed up and, and as they deserved to be and were mocking him as well. At some point, Jesus, if he was like many of us, could have said, you know, I was willing to suffer to a point, but if you're going to take it this far, and if you're going to be disrespectful, because I'm God, I don't have to take this kind of stuff, you can just go to hell. And we would have. Amen? Amen. But he, although he was God, put up with all of that stuff, became a man, a slave, a servant, and experienced and suffered all of that for us. And the Bible kind of asks this question. It starts by saying, that's the same attitude you ought to have. The question that comes out of it, it begs the question, if Jesus can do that for us, then what makes you think you can't take some stuff off of somebody else that performs a little bit less than you'd like them to? We went to lunch today at a new restaurant that came to town recently, and we were interested in trying it, and it's a seafood restaurant, and so I thought that it would be nice to go there because I like stuff that swims around in water. And, uh, and we went there, and after we'd been there an hour and ten minutes, we still didn't have any food. And it wasn't that it was a Sunday and the place was crowded. It, only about 40 or 50 percent of the seats were even occupied in there. It, it was just, it was poor service. Food was okay once we got it, but the service was terrible. And, um, and you could hear people all over the restaurant, and they're grumbling. And these poor waitresses, uh, they, they'd already come around and told us they had stuff backed up in the kitchen and I don't know, maybe they only had one cook back there. I'm not sure what was going on. I'm not sure what the problem was. But you know what happens to those little girls. They're the ones that come up to the table and they interact with the customers. Um, and they get the brunt of all the complaints, even if they don't have anything to do with what's going on in the kitchen. And so there were people calling for managers and people that had all kinds of snide remarks as they were walking by and this, that, and the other thing. And I'm trying to figure out what to do. And I decided that I was just not going to respond to all of that stuff. 
my service wasn't any better than anybody else. I had to wait way too long. It held, up, held me up from doing some things that I needed to do. I had to wait for my food, and while I was waiting for mine, the people that I was with let theirs get cold. Um, and half the order came, and then the other part of the order came about 20, 25 minutes after that. Um, it was terrible. You know what I did? I ate my dinner, and I paid the tab, and I tipped like I always tip. Because they were already getting a bunch of the negative stuff. They could tell by the way I was dressed that I'd probably been to church that morning. Because we're in South Georgia, they probably assumed, since I wasn't wearing a yarmulke or some other kind of strange little hat, that I was a Christian. And in that setting, who am I representing? Did they inconvenience me? Yep. Should I have been able to expect better service for what I was paying? Oh, yeah. But humility means that we decide that we are no, not really the most important thing in all of the universe. The world does not revolve around us. And sometimes it's our job to just patiently put up with the faults of other people for the greater good of being the kind of representatives our Christ wants us to be. Amen? He has called us. He did that. And what I'm talking about is nothing compared to what he did. Amen? But, but we stumble over that stuff. C.S. Lewis said this, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Thomas Merton wrote, Pride makes us artificial and humility makes us real. Okay? Now, why does it make us artificial? Because regardless of what you think of yourself, you ain't all that. <laughs> Augustine wrote, Do you wish to rise? Begin by descending. You plant a tower that will pierce the clouds, lay first the foundation of humility. Lord, the Lord said in, the, in a different place, he, rather than walk in and demand the highest seat in the house, you take the lowest seat. And when it's time to move up, somebody will let you know. So, what is humility? It comes from a word that means to depress uh, in a figurative sense, uh, to humiliate and condition her heart, to abase, to bring low, to humble. In other words, we just get to the place where we decide we're not that big a deal. Amen? We are servants of Christ as long as we're here. The psalmist wrote, what is man, God, that you're even mindful of him? Why do you even pay attention to us? How is it that you would look down out of heaven and see pathetic people like us in all of our wickedness and decide to sacrifice your son for our sakes? Why would you even do that, God? We can't answer that question, can we? That ought to be humbling all by itself. A woman in town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, and she brought an alabaster jar full of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with the hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with the fragrant oil. And what happened? Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, You see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. 
You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. God responds positively when people become humble. Amen? When we see ourselves in the light of who he is, we just don't seem like such a big deal anymore. And by the way, that's a constant theme in Scripture. There's a king named Josiah. The Bible says, Shaphan, the court secretary, told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And then he commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahiakim the son of Shaphan, Ekbor, son of Micaiah, Shaphan the court secretary, and the king's servant Isaiah, go and inquire of the Lord for me, the people in all Judah, about the instruction in this book that has been found. For great is the Lord's wrath that is kindled against us, because our ancestors have not obeyed the words of this book in order to do everything written about us. This is a king during a time uh, in the history of Judah that, that, uh, that finds a copy of the Word of God and has it read to him. And then after he read it, he goes, Oh, man, we haven't been doing any of this stuff. No wonder we're in a jam. Now what are we supposed to do? Get a man of God to tell me exactly what God wants us to do. And God responds. He said, Say this to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. Whoa. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. As for the words that you heard, because your heart was tendered and you humble yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse. And because you've torn your clothes and wept before me, I myself have heard you. This is the Lord's declaration. Therefore, I will indeed gather you to your fathers and you will be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster that I'm bringing on this place. And they reported that to the king. Josiah's humility caused Judah to survive another 40 years before they were finally swept away and carried off to Babylon because he found the word of God and humbled himself and God honored that. Solomon, as he's dedicating the temple, has prayed to God and God answers and God said, if I close the sky so there's no rain or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people and my people who are called by my name, humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. Now, I think I've make it, made it real clear that I do not place my faith in any human political figure. But I believe this, that in this last election cycle, a lot of God's people got together and prayed and poured their heart out to God. Amen? And I think that God has effected some change that's going to benefit us because of that humility. And the reason I believe that is because he said he would. And he has a long and storied history of doing exactly that. Rehoboam. Shemaiah the prophet went to Rehoboam and the leaders of Judah who were gathered at Jerusalem because of Shishak, and he said to them, This is what the Lord said, You have abandoned me, therefore I have abandoned you into the hand of Shishak. So the leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, Yahweh is righteous. And when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the Lord's message came to Shemaiah. They have humbled themselves, I will not destroy them, but grant them a little deliverance. My wrath will not be poured out on Jerusalem 
through Shishak. Hezekiah became sick to the point of death and he prayed to the Lord and he spoke to him and gave him a miraculous sign. However, because his heart was proud, Hezekiah did not respond according to the benefit that had come to him. So there was wrath on him, Judah and Jerusalem. And Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, he and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So the Lord's wrath did not come on them during Hezekiah's lifetime. By the way, the, these stories go on and on and on. We've been working our way through the entire Old Testament and, and, uh, and, and when you get to 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings and 1 and 2 Chronicles, even the, the books of Judges, there's this long history of God's people messing up, turning their backs on Him, forgetting Him, getting a little bit too prosperous and getting real sloppy about the way they worship Him and, and how, uh, how they keep the, His commands and His statutes and His ordinances and then they fall into all kinds of sin uh, and then they end up getting in all kinds of trouble and then they cry out to God when they figured out what caused that problem in the first place and over and over and over and over again God comes to people who have created their own mess but finally came to the end of themselves called out to him and he answers in incredible ways now this guy Manasseh follows Hezekiah as a, as a leader in Israel and what he does is scandalous not 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 in Israel in Judah he closes the door of the temple and he sets up all of the, the idols again, Baal and Ashtoreth, and he institutes the worship of all of these pagan idols. And, and he goes so far as to go into the temple of God and set up an idol in there to be worshipped. And just as God has decided, that's enough. Even this evil character comes to himself. Look at this story. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they didn't listen, so he brought against them the military commanders of the king of Assyria. They captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. You can just imagine, they got, they got him in shackles and hooks. Okay? He's a prisoner, and it's gotten as bad as it can possibly get. Not much hope at this point. Manasseh falls on his knees in Babylon. When he was in distress, he sought the favor of Yahweh his God and earnestly humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. By the way, the key word is earnestly. He prayed to him, so he heard his petition and granted his request and brought him back to Jerusalem to his kingdom. So Manasseh came to know that Yahweh is God. He went from a prisoner, from a captive, from somebody that didn't have any hope of any kind of future at all, falls on his knees, calls out to God, humbles himself before him earnestly, and the God that can do anything managed to get him sent back to Jerusalem and placed back on his throne as a descendant of David. Humility is, well, not so much encouraged, but commanded everywhere in God's Word. It was not difficult at all to find a whole lot of content that relates to this. This is one of those key things that God's people need to know, amen? God expects us to make much of Him and little of ourselves. And when we get those two things backwards, we always get it wrong. And the blessings stop. 
and the sin begins and the mess begins to, to, to just get worse and worse and worse and nothing changes until we get to the end of ourselves and call out to God and say, okay, I get it now. You're in charge and I'm not. God, what would you have me to do? And once we turn it back over to him, he comes through and makes things happen that we couldn't even imagine. Over and over and over in the Bible, that is the story. Micah writes this, what should I bring before the Lord when I come before him on high? Should I come before him with burnt offerings, with year-old calves? Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with 10,000 streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the child of my body for my own sin? Mankind, he has told you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you, to act justly, to love faithfulness, and walk humbly with your God. When, when, when you kind of try to nail God down to, what is it that you really want from me? All of a sudden we get these, these very concise summary statements. Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. All these things will matter, uh, be added to you. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Act justly. Be faithful. Walk humbly with your God. See, we, we always think that in order to gain the favor of God, we've got to do some grandiose thing. No, God just wants us to figure out who he is and have a good understanding of who we are before him. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2 says, when pride comes, disgrace follows, but with humility comes wisdom. Another place it says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Think about that for a second. We're going to have some opposition. If you try to serve the Lord, you're always going to have opposition from God's archenemy, Satan. Amen? But I can handle that if God is with me. But if I am being opposed by God, I'm toast. There's no future in that at all. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. When pride comes, because God will withdraw his hand of blessing from us when we get all proud and all full of ourselves, when pride comes, disgrace follows. But with humility comes wisdom. In other words, when we start thinking that way, God said, yeah, you're getting smarter now. The fear of the Lord is what wisdom teaches, and humility comes before honor. God will lift up people who are humble, but he opposes those who are not. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. Starting to notice a constant theme? The result of humility is fear of the Lord, along with wealth and honor and life. In other words, if you get before God the way that he wants you to be before him, there's a lot of blessings that come with it. God can work in the life of somebody that is properly humble. Amen? But if you think you got it all taken care of and you tell the Lord to stand in the corner and I'll call you when I need you, like a lot of people do, that doesn't work out so good. What are the benefits of being humble before the Lord and serving him like we're supposed to? Wealth. You believe that God blesses people? Now, what does wealth mean? 
that you have what you need doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. But compared to most of the people in the world, the least of us in this room is wealthy. Amen? There are groceries in our refrigerator right now. At least enough to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. By the way, the Hebrew word for that is manna. We, we are wealthy. We have what we need. Um, honor. Isn't it nice not to go down in disgrace? Isn't it nice to live a life that people respect? For, for your kids not have to bow their head when somebody speaks their daddy's name or their mama's name? And what? When we walk before the Lord and we walk away from the things that he says will destroy us, then the quality of our life and the length of our life is generally longer. Look around here, we have a lot of, uh, a high population of octogenarians in this church. That's people who are 80 years old and older. You know, there are a lot of, lot of associations in this town that can't boast of that. Because some lifestyles just don't live, uh, just don't lend to that kind of longevity, do they? Seek the Lord, all ye humble of the earth, who carry out what he commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be concealed on the day of the Lord's anger. In other words, we read his word, we humble ourselves before him, we choose to obey him and let him be our boss. And as a result, we can expect that when he's disciplining those who don't, he will pass us by. Jesus said this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you, take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The God that calls us to be humble, again, like we said at the beginning, demonstrates that humility before us, doesn't he? Therefore I, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. Now, it turns out that humility is a big part of the ability for God's church to be what God has called it to be. Amen? When we are preoccupied with what makes me happy. I, uh, I was a recruiter in Savannah, Georgia, uh, in, in my early days in recruiting, and, and uh, so I had all these high school kids uh, and they would show up with their high school diploma and walk into my office like they had accomplished something really unusual. Uh, and, uh, and it would say, um, yeah, I just wandered in today to see what you have to offer me. And after I'd been doing that job for about three months and heard that for the hundredth time, I started to get an attitude about it. And I used to respond to them. I said, uh, I'm sort of waiting to see what you have to offer the United States Air Force. Amen? Do you know that some people go about finding churches that way? As though their purpose in the body of Christ is to find a church that has all the amenities so that they can just walk into a turnkey operation, sit down and enjoy everything that somebody else built. 
I want to ask you something. Do you think there's anything really Christian about that? Should God's people come to his house with the expectation, well, we'll just see what they have to offer me? Or should they come knowing that he has given them salvation and he has given them spiritual gifts that he expects them to use for the benefit of the rest of the body of Christ, looking for an opportunity to put their gifts to use to serve him? Do you have a place here for me where I can make a difference for the people of God and for the work of God? That's how God's people ought to come. Amen? When we come that way, we become productive members of the church. But if we show up and start flashing our pedigrees, talking about our experience, uh, and, um, and, and just basically um, assuming that the church is Lucky to have somebody like me. What happens? Some dissension, some division. Eventually there's some kind of power struggle. None of the kinds of things that honor the Lord or further his kingdom. But what this says is that we have, we've been called to walk worthy of the calling we've received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love we will find faults in each other. Amen? We, will, we won't see eye to eye on every little thing. That's the way it is. But if we just decide to accept each other, I'm, I'm still seeing those Facebook posts. I told you I'd be watching. Just squabbling with people. What message are we supposed to be getting out there? Get the gospel out, Amen? All, all those people that you're arguing with over all the wrong kinds of things, have you changed a single mind yet? And if you haven't, with all that exercise and all that energy, what makes you think you're gonna? Well, I've got to express myself. That's humility? Is it? Is that what we're supposed to be doing? Accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. When we become the people we're supposed to be, that we'll build the kind of church that we're supposed to build. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That's what we're called to be. That's, that's the calling that we're supposed to walk worthy of. Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, put on love the perfect bond of unity. Over and over and over, part of this recipe for what it is that God has called us to be is this thing called humility. So what is the opposite of humility, just so we get it defined? Boldness, confidence, arrogance, assertiveness, egoism, pretentiousness, pride, self-importance. If you're any of those things, you're not humble, not like the Lord has called us to be. Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly of spirit with the humble than to divide plunder with the proud. 
A person's pride will humble him, but a humble spirit will gain honor. Pride is the opposite of humility. If there's any of that in you, that's something that we got to deal with so that we can become what it is that Christ has called us to be. Amen? Come on, Terry, let's close with a song of worship. Let's stand to our feet this evening. Father, we uh, are in a room full of people who have been in your house for a long time, who have known your word for many years, and have heard this kind of information on a number of other occasions. There's parts of our lives, Father, when we do pretty good with this, and then every now and then we kind of get a little bit blessed and because of you achieve a little bit of success. And Father, if we're not real careful, we start to think or imagine that somehow or another we had something to do with all of that. And the truth is that it's God that works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. And if the Lord doesn't build a house, those who try to build it labor in vain. God, if we just study enough of your word, we find out in you we live and move and have our very being. So right now, Father, if there's anything in us that makes us believe that we're responsible for the wondrous things that you do in our lives and in the lives of others through us. Father, extinguish that. Help us to confess it and forsake it so that we can bow before you, call you King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and be useful to you as we humble ourselves before you. We'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.